Welcome into the Steelers Standard. I am Tom Opperman. With me, as always, is Jacob Recht, picking things up after in the locker room and continuing our day-long coverage of Steelers training camp here on Steelers Nation Radio. Before we go out to Heinz Field and talk about training camp and the actual 2021 Steelers, let's get in the Wayback Machine, Jacob, because there were some more Hall of Fame festivities that took place last night. We all know Saturday night was a big, big deal for Steelers Nation. Bill Cower, Troy Polamalu, and Donnie Shell all getting their busts and jackets in the Hall of Fame. But last night was just as important for Steelers Nation. One less uh, inductee from the black and gold going in last night than there were Saturday night, but the two men that went in were just as important as the three that went in on Saturday. Alan Fanica and Bill Nunn. Bill Nunn, certainly very long overdue. Fanica, a little long overdue as well. So For different reasons. Two guys yeah. finally getting their uh, their due and getting into the Hall of Fame. I wanted to start with uh, Alan Fanica and just, again, like we, we – said on our shows yesterday when talking about these speeches it's so great to hear them list all the men and women in their lives that helped shape the the path that they walked to get to the point where they're at now giving this speech in the hall of fame it was great to hear that from fanica uh, again it was amazing to see all of steelers nation there that crowd carried over from saturday night for the sunday night Without festivities question. as well and it was a total takeover of canton and you know this this class, I know Donnie Shell and Bill Nunn, you know, made their mark in eras that, you know, we weren't even thoughts yet by our parents, let alone born. But Bill Cower, Troy Polamalu, and now Alan Fanica, those three guys hit close to home for our generation. And it feels like we have a, a lot of connections with this Hall of Fame class, more so than maybe any others in the past that the Steelers have had. Yeah, yesterday when we were on with Wolf in the locker room, we were telling him how the only guy that we had known who was in the Hall of Fame was really Jerome Bettis. That was the only guy we could put our hands like on. Like when we watched say, his speech, we were like, yeah, the bus. Remember I, that I guy? Know. I know. Right. I, I, I can tell you memories, several of them, not just one or two, but many of many memories watching the bus. And now to have Coach Cower, who we saw win a Super Bowl, and obviously Troy, as iconic as he is, and now Alan Fanna could be in there. It, it, it feels good to have something tangible to say it's no longer just the 70s era that is so great and remembered to be one of the best ever. But now you can say, look, we have our pieces too. And, of course, Ben Roethlisberger will be there. Maybe Marquise Pouncey, maybe a couple of other guys along the way. Who knows? Mike but Tomlin it, and Kevin Colbert, for Mike sure. Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert, for sure, As as uh, er, along with Ben. And who knows who else? Yeah, but Pounce, Hayward's fringe, Pounce's fringe, DeCastro's fringe. fringe. TJ's got a lot of way, way to go, but yeah. he's on his way, yeah. But it feels good to not just have one guy to say that I, I can tell you how great he was based off of my experience watching him. No question. It's a totally unique experience and, and a new experience for, for unique's us. Unique's the wrong right. word. A new experience right. for us because now well, we're Well, maybe gonna... it is unique because there are a lot of franchises yeah, lot out of... there. A lot of franchises out there without Hall of Fame guys. Well, I think, you know, a lot of people get that experience and see the players that they grew up with get in. So I don't think it would be that unique, but it's new for our generation because, yeah, they started with um, Jerome Bettis a few years ago, was really the first one through the door, and then obviously followed up by Cower and Troy and now Alan Fanica. The floodgates are going to start opening up, though, like you said. We're going to start seeing a couple more from our era, I think, sneak their way into the Hall of Fame. 
Uh, very excited about that. Ben Roethlisberger, obviously the one that's at the very front of your mind. But w- sticking with Alan Fanica and just illustrating again just how dominant this man was at the guard position. One thing that I think gets overlooked, just simply because there's so many great stats when it comes to Allen, but the thing I haven't touched on on our shows lately is he was a six-time first-team All-Pro. I mean, not just all pro on the second team. The, first, the team. first team, they decided that he was the best guard in the league six times. I mean, that's such an incredible feat. Nine times he went to the Pro Bowl. I mean, those numbers are just, they, they really smack you in the face. They're, they're, they're something that you won't see from many people in this league. The, the only guard that's playing currently that I could think has the same kind of makeup would be Quentin Nelson in Indianapolis. But who knows if you even get to six first team all pros with him because that's just such a feat that's hard to do even for the best of the best and now he's suffering with a foot injury yeah this year's not going to be the first team all pro year certainly not you can't make it when you're missing at least if if you if you think he if if it's possible that he misses that 12 weeks there's just no way there's just no way but yeah i mean the model of consistency is alan fanica right and we've talked about how on in the locker room and on our show over the weekend how it's possible Alan Fanica is the greatest guard to ever play the game. Of it's football. very possible. He's definitely the greatest one in Steelers history. By oh, I think by uh, even not in just Steelers history, but from the two thousands and on, maybe even the nineties and on, because he was obviously there for a little bit in the nineties. But yeah, I mean, how you cannot ask for much more than what Al. You can't ask for any more than what Alan Fanica gave you. I think the fact that. He retired and became like the skinniest beanstalk you could ever see. It's incredible, see. Tom. I what? saw him in person one day, and he was talking about how he he runs marathons now, and, and he, his diet completely changed. You would think most linemen. I mean, look to our friend Craig Wolfley. <laughs> we, we can't go a conversation. We can't go a single segment without talking about how much what we're having for lunch or dinner that later that day. I mean, it's weird though. Linemen can go both ways because then uh, look at Wolf's longtime partner Tunch. I mean, right. he's in, slimmed down immediately after he started. Right, as 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 Wolf and and many listeners know. I mean, we do weigh in Wednesdays for Wolf. If Wolf's under three hundred pounds, it's a good day. If Tunch is over two hundred, it's a good day for Tunch. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> so I, I think that whole slimming down though, it kind of feeds into the way he approached the game as a player. I, I have a sense that Allen really immersed himself in his work and was a workaholic almost when it came to playing guard. I mean, I don't know if you go six straight years without having a holding penalty, if you're not just a total workaholic at the position, trying to Product be as technically craft, sound right. as you can possibly be. It's not just about your own physical gifts that you had plenty of. It's about really the tech the technical skills that you develop on the line and, and the little stuff that makes you that much better i feel like alan obsessed over that so i think you know post football you lose that giant obsession in your life oh i can f- focus this somewhere else maybe i'll focus on losing a bunch of weight then running in marathons and and working out and really pouring my attention to that so basically what i'm saying i think this is a guy that if he decides he's going to do something it's going to happen he's going to i mean it. he's going to figure out a way to get to the finish line he might not know how he's going to get there but he's going to get there and you saw that in his nfl career like i said six straight years without a holding penalty only four holding penalties in his entire career two in his pittsburgh Steelers career the other two incredible. came when he was in a jet in a cardinal uniform so just an absolutely incredible man and really a face of those mid 2000 Pittsburgh Steelers that could easily be forgotten because linemen are kind of the nameless faceless people of the teams 
but no chance if you were a fan of those teams in the aughts, you didn't know number 66 oh, for the black and gold. Absolutely. And it, it felt good to see David DeCastro not only take on the number in the guard position, but kind of carry on that legacy. But we talked about on our all-time standard episode when when crafting our all-time offensive line for the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, we had said, you know, how difficult is it to pick the guards? It's not. It's the two number 66. You have David DeCastro and Alan Fanica, but looking to the center position, it was a crapshoot. You didn't know who to go with between Dermani Dawson and Mike Webster, and obviously your third guy would have been Marquise Pouncey, but still a good third option to have. But where do you think, Tom, that Alan Fanica ranks among all-time offensive linemen for the Steelers history when you put him up against Dermani Dawson and Mike Webster. He might be right in between. It might be an Alan Fanica sandwich with Mike Webster at the front and Dermani Dawson on the uh, rear I mean, those end. those three are three of the greatest offensive linemen to ever play the That's game. That's the holy trinity in Pittsburgh. Absolutely. Is, is the uh, Alan Fanica, it's just, Dermani it's just Dawson. A, a uh, it's just a shame. It's a shame that you can't put a, two centers out there. <laughs> That's right. Dermani Dawson had the game change for him, though, so... You might have to put that in yeah. to the equation. But, yeah, those three are certainly the holy trinity when it comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers and their offensive linemen. You know, the thing with Alan Fanica, too, is what was the crazy – I think it was nine years he had blocked for an 1,000-yard rusher in the Out of NFL. 13 years. Out of 13 seasons, nine of his seasons, he was a part of the line that helped clear the way for a running back that cleared 1,000 yards on the season. No offense, but I don't even know the name. Could you think of the names of the New York running backs or the Arizona running back he, he blocked for what, no, the one year he the was there in Arizona? Head. I, so I it's, off it's not even head. his fault, really. I mean, like, if when he had Jerome Bettis. And Steamboat Willie. And, and Fast Willie Parker. There was no question those guys were running for a thousand yards with Alan Fanica blocking the way. I mean, Alan Fanica's greatest play he's ever made was making that pull in Super Bowl Forty. Well, Alan Fan and, and Steelers by Steelers fans, Alan Fanica is equally remembered as much as Willie Parker is for that. Run. I think it's become more so just because of the Hall of Fame weekend that you know that play has been gotten a lot more shine as it should, and people have been illustrating more so than probably usual. You know. That play doesn't happen if Alan Fanica doesn't not. pull and have that great leading block to, to clear the way for Willie Parker. I remember back watching that game, and this was when you know TV broadcasts were a little different, and they were predicting during the game when it was clear in the fourth quarter that the Steelers were going to win, who could have been the MVP of that game. And obviously it wasn't going to be Ben Roethlisberger because he had a pretty bad day. Yeah. And so you were looking who else could it be. And obviously, Heinz Ward went on to win it. But people were saying during the broadcast, like this is Al Michaels and John Madden calling the game. It could be Al. It could be Alan Fanica to win the MVP because of how great of a move he pulled. Wouldn't that have been wild? An offensive that would have been incredible. I don't know how that would have been spun, but it, it would have been crazy. Uh, I remember hearing Alan Fanica in the interview just getting excited when that play was called, realizing you know we've been working on this for a while and. What a fun play it has to be to run if you're his position. I mean, it's the one time you really get to – or not the one time, but one of the plays that you get to pull, get out in the open, and really clean somebody's clock if they are the unfortunate soul that finds themselves in the gap that you're supposed to clear. And boy, did Alan Fanica clear it. Uh, before we move on, we're going to talk about the offensive line currently in the next segment, but we got to touch on Bill Nunn, obviously, before we wrap this segment up. Uh, the one thing that really kept – resonating with me was how much it stunk that bill had unfortunately passed away before this honor right. was able to be received this is something that he deserved more than man maybe any of the Steelers that had gone in before him because 
those guys really aren't there in a Pittsburgh None of those uniform guys. without Bill Nunn. He was responsible for drafting 13 Hall of Famers. And, and if, if you let it, it'll get you a little mad that he wasn't in at the appropriate time when he was alive and able to accept the honor himself. But very touching video tribute to Bill Nunn uh, and a guy whose bust deserves to be immortalized forever because you, you can't tell the story of the Pittsburgh. You, you go into the Hall of Fame, you see all these busts from the 70s and, and the 80s now, and now Those you're guys, seeing some guys from the aughts come in, and you're, you're seeing, especially the 70s, though, and you're like, man, look at all of these Steelers here. You couldn't tell that story without Bill Nunn's bust in there as well. So Those guys very could long have been overdue. for other teams, right? Some of these players are just so great, no matter what team they're on, they would have still made it. Obviously, you know, Jack Ham famously said, if I had been a New Orleans Saint that year when I was drafted, I would never have been a Hall of Famer. I think Jack Ham is good enough to have been a Hall of Famer. It's, it's a pretty humble thing of him to say, but a lot of them can contribute or can tribute the Pittsburgh Steelers to their success, and that's what Hall of Famers do. As we said yesterday, Tom, that it takes a certain level of humility to become a Hall of Famer because it's about everyone else surrounding you, not just your own talent and your own work. But Bill Nunn, I mean, those guys, the Steelers Hall could be looking very different if it, if it weren't not for Bill Nunn. And you talked about how you cannot write the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers without him. Think about it. Obviously, the Roonies are the Roonies, and everyone knows them. No one else with a last name other than Rooney has been with the team for longer than Bill Nunn. I think that that's something that gets overlooked by people, too, is because, yeah, obviously his legacy lives on in the 70s teams and that's the thing that really carries him but bill's been was around well into the 2000s and was still around when the steelers won their two super bowls in the 2000s so and when they went to the third one as th well this is a guy that not only of course was the architect of the four trophies in the 70s but he has his fingerprints on all six of the lombardi trophies and all eight afc championship trophies that the pittsburgh steelers franchise has so you're right, Jacob. I mean, if you're looking at, you know, the face of the franchise, obviously it starts with Rooney. As the next should, guy up but the next guy Nunn. up is Bill Nunn as far as seniority is concerned and just as far as overall impact. I mean, love the Roonies. No offense to them. I mean, there's no team without the Roonies. Right. But he might have a little bit more of overall impact as far as winning is concerned I mean, than sure the Roonies they, did. They run the team, and, and they've done so as well as any owner has in any sport in the world, I don't. I don't know if there's a better family or a better organization run than the Pittsburgh Steelers, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Tom. In terms of in the locker room or actual impact on how the team is formed and crafted, I don't know if anyone, even the Rooney's, come close to Bill Nunn. We'll talk some current day offensive line as there is some concerns at the guard spot now for your Pittsburgh Steelers. So we'll get into all that on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Steelers Standard right here on Steelers Nation Radio. Steelers Standard here on Steelers Nation Radio with myself, Tom Opferman, and Jacob Recht. We talked about Alan Fanica in that last segment. Boy, is that someone that the Steelers really could use in the 2021 season. We thought, Jacob, that the guard spots were the ones that were the most, you know, solid as far as who would be the starters for the Pittsburgh Steelers this season. Uh, we thought the question marks loomed, obviously, with Kendrick Green at center being a rookie and then the two tackles, Chooks and Banner. But we had always thought 
you know, Dotson and now Trey Turner when they signed. It was David DeCastro before he decided to get released. Then that shifts to Trey Turner when they signed him. But either way, those two guard spots were supposed to be, you know, those weren't the question marks. Those were supposed to be clear as day for the Steelers heading into this season. But the biggest question mark as we sit here two weeks into training camp, getting ready for a preseason game number two against Philadelphia in just a couple days, man, Kendrick Green just is not cutting the mustard in the Steelers' eyes. Yesterday during practice, he worked out with the twos. Rashad Coward took snaps with the ones and then asked about it by Joe Rudder after practice. Mike Tomlin said, what do you want me to say? He's just not good enough to practice with the ones. I mean, he's, he's not playing at the level we need him to play at. You never really hear Tomlin say something that pointed yeah. about anybody unless they're doing it for a reason. I have a feeling that whatever they're trying to get through to Dotson isn't working, and it now seems time to take it to the extreme level of letting the media and the town know, hey, we're not happy with what Kevin Dotson's bringing to the table right now. Tom, it seems like every week something's going on with this offensive line that is just the opposite of what you wanted to hear, right? I mean, first – there's the departure, obviously, of the or the retire. This all started with the retirement of Marquise Pouncey, and then the release of David DeCastro. And you would think, as you said, Tom, we thought the guard position was the only one that was really solid, and you had confidence in. But you and I can say that all we want. The, the opinion who matters the most is Mike Tomlin. If Mike Tomlin is not pleased with Kevin Dotson, that has to concern many, many people. Well, because think about when we did our segment about who we think could be first-year Pro Bowlers this year. We Mine was Kevin, Kevin Dotson, Dotson, and I think your honorable mention was Kevin Dotson. I mean, this is a guy that at the beginning of last season for the Steelers, you know, in the four games that he had to start in DeCastro's absence, I think they were the best games the Steelers had run performance-wise. Even without James Conner in one of them, Benny Snell cleared 100 yards on the day. So... He was looking really good in his rookie season. DeCastro comes back. You give DeCastro his job back. Dotson, you know, his time spent on the field was fewer, fewer and farther between after that. But, man, it just doesn't seem like he's progressing the way that you want him to. And you look back at offseason workouts in minicamp, all of that rumors about how he's out of shape, blah, 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 blah. That got blown out of proportion. But I think the truth in there was the Steelers weren't happy with him. You know, it wasn't about his conditioning or if he's been working out. They just weren't happy with where he's at when they saw him in mini camps and the offseason workouts. And, oh, whatever, it's mini camp. It's, it's optional. You know, we still got a long way to go before training camp even starts. It's fine. You know, we can handle this second-year player with kid gloves, bring him into the office, just say, hey, this is what we need you to work on X x x and x make sure that you get all these you know looking better when we report back to camp mm. and now when he gets to camp and none of those things are are looking better at least in the Steelers eyes then you start to blast it out to the public that this isn't a, a good thing but man if he isn't able to get to the level that we need him to be at and if he's not good enough to start Sunday uh, September 12th in Buffalo I get it because you don't just want to start somebody out there just based on name and pedigree alone. If he's not one of your five best guys, then you have to start somebody else. But at the same time, I do not like my odds of rolling Rashad Coward out there at left guard against the Buffalo Bills no, in that defensive front. But I guess Tomlin doesn't feel that way. And again, that's the opinion that matters the most. You have to under you have to you have to question what is Tomlin seeing that the rest of us aren't. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like what what seems to be the problem here with Kevin Dotson and 
you know, Rashad Coward got the start in the Hall of Fame game, and then he got the run with the ones yesterday. I, I have a, uh, an inkling that that might be because B.J. Finney's trying to deal with a little injury that he picked up in the Hall game, because I feel like that's the obvious one. And no offense to Rashad Coward, maybe this is just me being a coward because I just don't really know him that well. But I would be more comfortable if we're going to go with somebody that's not Dotson. It would be B.J. Finney, I think, that I would want to be the starting left guard in week one. Just because he's got more More familiarity with the team and, yeah, more experience. And I think he looked pretty solid when he was playing in that Hall of Fame game. But, you know, the coaches know a ton more about this game of football than I do, you do, or, or really anybody. And if they're seeing something in practice out of Coward, to have him run with the ones at this current point, that's fine. But Steelers Nation has to really hope. I mean, this is a real concern now with Kevin Dotson. You have to really hope that he beats out Coward on his own in the next couple of weeks and can make himself that starter. Because, again, I know he's not playing well now, so it's kind of like, well, why do you want him to start if he's not playing well? Because his ceiling is so much higher than almost anybody else on the offensive line. Maybe Kendrick Green being the only one that has a ceiling as equal as he could have. And it's frustrating to see how great he was when he did play as a rookie to now he's in trouble with the coaching staff and trouble having trouble getting off of the uh, second level of the depth chart. What I could say is this is Tomlin being Tomlin where he had said, this was, this is only a second year guy, not a first round draft pick. I don't know why you're trying to praise him so much. He's not, he's no, obviously he didn't say this, but he's not a Marquise Pouncey type of player where he had this pedigree coming out of school this was a later draft, a later round draft pick, and he didn't have much starting experience yes or last year. So why, why have this confidence in him when he hasn't really proven anything? That that's kind of you know something that we've seen Tom similar to what Tomlin said in the past, kind of like how Devin Bush didn't get the start his rookie year, week one. Pouncey didn't get it, but they eventually earned it. But for some reason, this felt different, Tom. This felt a little more critical than normal from what we've heard Tomlin say about younger guys getting their starts. I think it did as well. You know, I, this I th- wasn't the typical. He's young. He's he's not going to get his starting job handed to him on a silver platter. It felt a little more. I don't want to say harsh, but it just felt a little more real. No, because I mean, think about another guy that's young and isn't going to have his job handed to him on a silver platter, or at least that's what they'll say. It's Kendrick Green, and Kendrick he's been Green. getting every opportunity. Started in the Hall of Fame game, he's been running with the ones in practice. He was with the ones yesterday. I think I think he's on the trajectory to be the starter right now, and there's no way that that's just been handed to him. I mean, the depth chart, if you go to Steelers.com, still says J.C. Hassenhauer is the number one center on the team, but that just hasn't been illustrated in practices and on the field. So he's making Kendrick Green earn his spot. I think it's the same thing with Kevin Dotson where, yeah, he's making him earn his spot. It's just he didn't, in his wildest dreams, expect him to actually lose his spot for a little bit here. But that's exactly where the Steelers sit right now. And that makes a line that's suspect going into the season already, I, I think, just a little more suspect in my mind. Yeah, it definitely is. And, again, this has to feel like such a blow because this was – when you look at the state of the offensive line, you think – you were thinking to yourselves, okay, a young potential star in Kendrick Green at center, that's a good place to begin. Yes. And then you go to the guards, and you bring in a veteran like Trey Turner, and you have a second-year guy who you thought is on a similar path to Kendrick Green, a later-round draft pick but someone who has a lot of potential. And you looked at your tackles, and you were saying you have a guy in Chooks who had 15 starts last year, has the most starting experience of any guy 
with the Pittsburgh Steelers, of course, Trey Turner has more, but we're talking about with the team. And then Zach Banner, who would have had 16 starts last year, 15 starts uh, more than Chooks. It's just because of his injury, he didn't. So he had earned his spot. And he, he looks like he's earned a spot this year as well. And you're looking at that and saying, despite what may, people may be concerned for, this offensive line isn't as bad as painted out to be. And again, this is just another blow that just came very unexpectedly. Something you didn't think you would have to deal with is the lack of confidence in Mike Tomlin in guard Kevin Dotson. Well, now it looks like the line's healthy, or at least healthy-ish. I mean, with the ones yesterday, all the ones out there uh, participated, except for Dotson, but he was healthy and he was just with the twos. But it seems like now they're starting to get it to the point where they can start to practice with who they think would be their starting five in the regular season and really start to... Those three things that Wolf was talking about yesterday, the continuity, chemistry, and then the third one was <laughs> something about just pass, road, block, and whatever. Three things to be in alignment. They start to work on that, but the continuity and the chemistry are the main ones that you really need to work on in this preseason period before the games start counting for real. And man, now they finally have the chance to have that happen. They can have all five of their guys out there. And unfortunately, Kevin Dotson just isn't playing well enough to really start to have that cohesiveness start to take place because he's not ready. He's not ready to be with the one. So now you're going to start to work with Rashad Coward or BJ Finney at that spot and start to build a rapport with him. You know, I hate to, you know, hit the panic button for young Kevin Dotson, but as weeks start to go by, if you haven't been able to supplant Coward or Finney for that spot and they start to build a nice rapport with the guys up front, I mean, you're going to be further and further in the rearview mirror because they're going to start to learn those nuances of the guys around them. And, and you know, the Chooks and the Kendrick Greens are going to be used to being uh, in the uh, used to having Coward in the middle or Finney in the middle. And then if they drop you back in there and a couple weeks later, it's going to be like they're starting from scratch all over again. Right. So the longer this drags out the longer it takes him to wake up almost and take that spot back, the more detrimental it could be for the unit of the offensive line. Yeah. And I'll just put a positive spin on it. Maybe it's the opposite effect where I understand as Wolf had said, it's important to be out there continuously and to work up your chemistry that they're kind of cohesive in that, in that way. And maybe that's true, but if you bring in someone like Dotson not necessarily at the beginning, but at least you wait a little bit. Maybe it's kind of not a revitalization, but you kind of feel like this is someone who we didn't have available to us earlier, and now we're bringing him in. This is the guy we thought we or who we did want to start at this position. Bringing him in now, maybe it instills a little bit more confidence in the rest of the line. I don't know. I'm just trying to put that positive spin on it. Does it feel that Zach Banner's job isn't a definite right now? It, to me, it kind of feels like Chooks kind of has the front uh, is in the lead uh, as far as the tackles are concerned as the number one. I know you have to start two, but it feels to me like Banner, you know, he's been having trouble staying healthy in training camp. Didn't see him in the Hall of Fame game. Hopefully we'll see him Thursday against Philly. But I, I feel like he's getting more push from a Joe Haig or even a Dan, Dan Moore, Moore than people expected him to have. And I do believe that Zach Banner will be your starter week one in Buffalo at the right tackle spot. But I, I think it's going to be a little bit tighter of a battle than people expected. Maybe even the coaching staff expected. I, I don't know if that's a case of a Dan Moore or a Joe Haig playing a little bit above their heads, or if that's a case of Zach Banner's, that injury Falling is still lingering behind. and he can't 
really shake it and be 100% healthy and a full participant for a full week of practice. So I, I don't know. It could be a either-or situation there. But whichever one is true, I, I feel like or get the sense that Zach Banner's not exactly a slam dunk to be a starter this year. Uh, that's totally fair because it's hard to come back from an ACL, MCL injury or or MCL injury like he did, and recoveries are always different for every individual player. But to be honest, Tom, I'm not as concerned with the tackle position as I am with the guard position, mainly because I have more confidence in the guys like D- Joe Haig and Dan Moore. Even though when we were bringing when we were talking about with Wolf on the locker on inside the locker room with him. I had mentioned how I was impressed with his ability to set up the screen for Deontay Johnson and make his way down the field to provide additional blocking. He said, yes, he agreed. It was a good play, but overall he needs to work out some more mechanics and just some hand, hand eye coordination type things, which is totally fair. I mean, he's a rookie. I mean, that's what, that's the, that's all about the process of making it in the NFL, but I still have more confidence in the combination of him and Joe Haig behind Banner if Banner doesn't work out than I do with the guys behind uh, Kevin Dotson at the guard position. No, I think that the depth all of a sudden has shown up at that tackle spot. Yeah, I, right. I, I, mean, I agree. I like B.J. Finney. I think he's a serviceable backup center, but or a backup guard, I mean, or a center, really. He can do it all on the inside of that line, but... Yeah, when Dotson falls on the depth chart, this what happens though. Your depth gets stretched at that inside position, and now a guy that you know you wanted to use as your Swiss Army knife if someone went down on the inside, or a Rashad Cower that you wanted to use as a plug and play guy, they have to start. Kevin Dotson all of a sudden becomes your plug and play guy. I guess that's fine, but if he's not playing well enough to be a starter, he's probably not going to be that great. Excuse me, in relief anyway. It really. Is it seems like this has been a trend in the offseason where something that we think is going to be a strength very quickly gets because turns on its head and becomes a weakness. Not I necessarily mean, a weakness, but a question mark. A question mark is a better way to put it. I mean, we saw it with the middle linebacker position, the inside linebacker position when Vince Williams retired. Uh, even on the other side of the coin, we saw the outside linebacker position go from weaker to stronger at the same time almost. And now you're seeing it with the guard spot. We thought we saw that that triangle in the middle of center and the two guards was going to be the most solid part of the offensive line. Now it might be the biggest question mark. Maybe from the center to the left side where it goes Kendrick Green and Trey Turner, Trey Turner, and then Chooks. That's your solid. But then again, Chooks. I mean, how solid is Chooks? That's still a question. It's still up in the air. Yeah, I guess. I guess he's more solid than anybody else that we know of. With 15 I mean, but that side, I guess, for other than, like, okay, so maybe just the left side, not the center. That's your experience. It's sketchy. It's a sketchy it's overall sketchy. Line, it's, and, it is sketchy. And it's very. It's going to be very interesting to see it come together and see who is the five from left to right in Buffalo uh, September 12th. When we come back, though, flip it over to the other side of the ball and talk some T.J. Watt. I think we're contractually obligated to talk T.J. Watt if you are a Steelers talk show. So we'll do that on the other side of the break. You are listening to the Steelers Standard, and you're listening to it right here on Steelers Nation Radio. Tom Opperman and Jacob Brecht rolling right along here on the Steelers Standard here on Steelers Nation Radio. Steelers practice going to be getting underway in, oh, I'd say about a little over an hour now. 1.30 start as usual for the Steelers. Getting ready for their game Thursday 
in Philadelphia against the Eagles. Preseason game number one for Philly, number two for Pittsburgh, getting the bonus game because of the Hall of Fame game. Jacob, a lot of contracts are flying around the NFL in this offseason in this training camp window. Josh Allen becomes the highest-paid quarterback as far as guaranteed money is concerned. Darius Leonard becomes the highest-paid linebacker in football for the Colts. Got to imagine there's a number 90 in Pittsburgh looking at all that news break and getting a little jealous. Got to think that he's feeling that a little bit, right? I don't know, Tom. The mind of T.J. Watt, to me, is more focused on the game than he is on money. But, of course, we know – I'm using air quotes here. He's doing a, a holdout. He did actually use air quotes, too, folks. I just want to make sure that's clear. I did. That's commitment. Thank you. You're well, It's the craft. My craft mirrors T.J. Watt's craft. Here, let's craft. do it together. A uh, holdout. It's it's a holdout if you want to call it that. But it's not, though, but it is. No one not. who holds out is still going to right. practices every day and, and traveling with the team. I, I mean, said to just... Wes last night on our night show, this is something that we've really never seen before, right? I mean, it's a very unique way of holding out. You, I don't you, think it's a holdout. You can't call it a holdout. I don't think it you I think Wes said someone called it a hold in. I like that. A hold in is a better way of, of, of saying it because he's in practice. He's in Canton, Ohio with the team. I mean, that's just... How it, that's what he's been doing, so you can't say he's withholding himself from the team. No, he was on the sidelines talking that's, to players during the game. That's what I'm saying is game. that like, he loves this game, and he wants to be the best, and I, I think he's on his way to being the best. We could talk all day about how he should have been a two-time defending defensive player of the year coming into this year, but we've spent so much time on that, I don't have to get into it. So I, I do think that, Yes, I'm sure it's kind of ringing in his ears a little bit saying, okay, Josh Allen got this big deal. Darius Leonard got this big deal. My time will come. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a Le'Veon Bell-esque, I need to be the highest paid running back ever. I, I, that's just what I, I don't think that rings true for TJ Watt. Well, he's going to be the highest paid he at his be. position when yeah. it's time to come. That's just how it works. It's the next man up that gets the big payday. And then TJ will be the highest paid player for about a year, year and a half until the next guy's up. And then he'll get a little bit more than TJ. And just the way that the cycle works, the cap going up and more money being pumped in year after year, teams getting higher revenue, teams having more cap space get opened up themselves. So that's just the nature of the business side of the NFL. But I think both sides of things, the Steelers and the and TJ Watts camp, I think they're both coming at it from a, a feeling of they both mutually understand what's happening. And I think the Steelers are totally fine with having a guy, their most important player, not named Ben Roethlisberger, not participate in things that will get him injured or have a high risk of getting him injured in practices or in actual preseason games. They know he's not going to forget how to play football. I think last year in 2020 with the pandemic, it really was a, an interesting case study that showed, hey, you know what? Guys don't need a full preseason to, to be ready to go week one. I mean, TJ had a sack week one against the Giants. And I, and know, an I know it's a little different because the guys he was playing against last year also didn't get that preseason. So this year he'll be going up against guys that have been working for a month playing three practice games before that point. But I still don't know if it makes that much of a difference when you're that great of a player. Like like the fact that someone might get a month of work in versus an Alex Highsmith, that might be significant. But a TJ Watt's a different story, man. I mean, he's the best defensive player in football, not named Aaron Donald. And he might be the best, defensive, be the best player defensive player in football, including people named yeah. Aaron Donald. I think he's the front runner to win defensive player of the year this year. So it's going to be interesting to see how he can respond if he just gets dropped in week one against Buffalo without seeing any other action, there is some worry that you might lead to an injury, maybe some soft tissue damage or something like that, just based on his lack of contact leading up to that point. 
But I think that's a risk I'm willing to take. You know, you don't want him to get hurt at all, but I guess in a really morbid way, you'd rather him get hurt in a game that actually matters than in a make-believe game that we're playing right now. Yeah, I mean, so I think basically what I'm trying to say is TJ Watt, it makes total sense. You don't even have to explain why he's doing it. But the Steelers are probably sitting back and going, yeah, we're, we're cool. Like, do what you need. Like, this works for us, too. You no, know? It, it's definitely a mutual beneficial relationship or, or events that are unfolding in front of us that's going on. Because I, I personally don't want to see TJ risk himself in any way. I'm totally fine with him being on the sidelines for all of preseason, for all four games, not playing a snap. Maybe if you want to, just to get yourself ready and the and just get your your body exerting yourself in in game form for one play or maybe one series, fine. If you really want to, and I feel like T.J. Watt kind of has that need to do so. He, I, like I said earlier, he loves the game of football. It's everything to him, and I, I can't imagine he he would say no to any opportunity that he gets to play. But again, in practice, I'm cool with him not, you know exerting himself too much just it, it, he's there though like this is such a weird yeah, exactly. thing for he people knows. to call it a holdout because he's, he's not going to be playing catch up in that week of practice leading into the buffalo game he's no. going to know what the defense's schemes are what their plans are what they want to do he's going to know how highsmith looks he's going to know how ingram looks he's going to know how the front's looking he's going to know how the secondary's looking because right. he's there it's just a matter of he goes through the individual workouts he goes through the walkthroughs then when it's time to start doing some hitting he saunters off to the sidelines with the trainer and does some more individual conditioning drills and works on his pass rushing moves. Which is it's not like he's just sitting on a, a on a on a tackling dummy and eating a sandwich. No, he's he's active while he's there. So like again, everything that we're telling you, how could you possibly call this a holdout? Because he's not holding out. He's as you said, he's pra he's participating in walkthroughs. I mean, that's something every guy needs to do. And yeah, he's not just sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. He's still being active. So you can't call it a holdout. As far as his long-term contract is concerned, it's a total should they, shouldn't they, will they, won't they kind of situation. Um, I think they're in open negotiations right now. Art Rooney, when he spoke last week, was pretty confident that they'd reach a deal before the training camp period concluded, or at the very latest, the preseason concluded. We know the Steelers don't like to work on contracts in season, so really they only have until that first week in September to get something done. I think they want to get something done. I think this is a guy that you want to hit your wagon to for a long time. But business sense, the franchise tag, I know that's an ugly word here in Pittsburgh. We're trying to polish that Le'Veon Bell stink off of that phrase. Uh, Bud Dupree did a good job doing so. I mean, he served under the tag admirably, unfortunately got injured, so you held your breath a little bit, but it worked out for Bud. He was still able to get that long-term deal and get his payday in Tennessee. So you thank God that that injury didn't come back to bite him, but... You know, it makes kind of sense to put the franchise tag on TJ as far as the Steelers are concerned and try to, you know, just keep working this thing one game at a t or one year at a time. And I think that especially becomes the move if Rooney was serious when he said it's not written in stone that Ben's last season is this year. He might come back in 2022. If Ben comes back in 2022, then I think you just got to keep going one year at a time and and it might just be time to put a franchise tag on TJ. And I know at first TJ would probably take a little i don't want to say to offense to it uh, i don't want to say offense. i don't know i think he would just be upset about it because you want he that long-term security wants deal, right and i mean but he's he knows, made himself he the also, face of that defense if brett he feels like look don't you want me to be a stealer for a long time and secure that face of the defense what more could i have done 
to earn myself a deal and be here for the long haul. But man, if he gets that franchise tag and he accepts it, I know this is a bit of a risk because what if injury happens or what if his play just starts to drop off at this point? Don't think that's the case. I mean, I rolled my eyes at you saying that, but it's uh, it's always possible. So if he gets the franchise tag and he balls out, he say he continues to play better, like he continues to improve under that tag. That's kind of worse. Not, I mean, obviously it's great for the Steelers, but it's bad in a way because it's you, bad for the Steelers. It's best case scenario for, for TJ Watt though, right, because right. like I said, the cap goes up year after year. I mean. TJ Watt signs his deal this year, he gets 30 million every year maybe. If he waits 2 years from now, that might turn into 33-34 million a year. So it would be a gamble on himself. He'd get all the guaranteed money under the franchise tag, but if he waited until say 2023 to work that long-term deal out, I don't it's not much, but he might be able to squeeze an extra million, 2 million out of the cap and out of the long-term deal than he would have if he signed it in 2020. So it's a long con play for him. But if they do slap the tag on him, that would be the way I would approach it in his mind. I if would be like, I'd be like, look, it's upsetting I didn't get that long-term deal, but I'm going to go out and have a perfectly healthy season and my best season yet and get even an extra couple million on top of what I was going to get this year in 2023. That that would be the mindset I would go about with. But again, that's a huge gamble on yourself. And in a sport where your knee can go sideways on the next play and your career is done... If you are so good like a TJ Watt, you want that long-term security and that guaranteed money right now. Because you just you just never know when your number's gonna be up with that really gruesome injury that just isn't gonna have you playing the same for the rest of your career. Right. You never know, but I do think TJ Watt, as I said, he loves the game of football, but he also knows how the business works, right? He knows every which side of this of this game and of this business, whether it's on the field or off the field, he knows how things operate. And I think he's going to be able to kind of, even if he does get that franchise tag this year, I think he's, I, I said took offense to it. I, I guess it's not the right word to say, but he's kind of going to, I think in TJ's mind, knowing him, I think it's going to kind of burn a little fire under him and say, okay, well, you didn't want to pay me this year, so you're going to have to pay me after this year because you only gave me this amount of, amount of money this year. I'm going to make you pay even more than what you wanted me to pay or what you would have paid me last year if you didn't give me the tag. I don't think there's going to be any question, like we said, if he doesn't practice in the preseason, that he'd step up and play extremely well during the regular season, have a defensive player of the year type of performance. Um but yeah, it's just it always has to be contract stuff with the Steelers, right? That just it always seems to be the thing that crops its ugly head, and maybe that's why you just you just get it done now. You just do it in this off season, you know. I agree. Obviously, the cap hit's not going to do anything this year. All the money's going to be loaded onto starting next season or the year after that with him when he starts to really make bank. But it keeps him happy, you know. It makes. You know, at least you know who your defense is going to look like for the time after Ben. You, you might not know what the offense is going to be, but at least you know you got a pretty stout member as the face of your defense. And one more thing, looking at it from TJ's perspective and kind of understanding where he's coming from. This is a guy that I think if you were to redraft that draft class, he would have been a top five pick. No questions asked. He was drafted later in the first round. No questions. I mean, Number one overall, not even top five. In the late 20s. So you got to remember with the way that picks are slotted with the value that they can get now, this isn't like back in the day when you could just overpay a buttload of money for a first-round pick. You know, It's not like you're getting Sam Bradford money when you go number one overall. 
but it's even less so when you're drafted in the mid to late 20s like TJ was. So it's not it's 30. not it's not, not even not, mid to late 20s. It's not he like he's 30. playing under some Miles Garrett rookie deal contract. He's playing under a fringe first round rookie deal contract. He's he's getting more close to Terrell Edmonds money than he is a Miles Garrett money on his rookie deal. And then on top of that, Miles Garrett has already gotten that long-term lucrative deal inked. So you always got to look around your peers and, and the guys that are kind of playing your same position and doing bringing uh, to the table the same things you do to kind of judge yourself. And if I'm TJ, I'm saying I've been better than this guy my entire career. I was drafted later than him, so I made less money out of the gate, and I'm making less money now off of my deal as he has a long-term deal already signed. And that's why I think he probably sits there and he's like, look, I'm a th- number 30 overall pick playing like a number one overall pick. I, I need to start seeing some actual money here. I've, I've honestly been playing on a discount my entire career when you think right, about Right, when you, you come in the, on the rookie deal, no matter who you are, if you're super talented or not, you're going to be playing on a discount. But obviously some guys only have the rookie contract and never make it get another one in the NFL, but it's still a lot of money to them based off of their actual talent. But, of course, guys like – guys like T.J. Watt deserve to be paid, especially when you look at guys in his draft class, Miles Garrett and Patrick Mahomes, both in his draft class, both got the money already. I'm sure T.J. Watt is, is thinking to himself, well, these guys came into the league the same year I did. I It's it's about my time. Well, we've gotten our first uh, couple weeks of looks at the rookie class for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So when we come back, we will talk about how the rookies are stacking up so far in training camp. You're listening to the Steelers Standard, and you're listening to it right here on Steelers Nation Radio. Back here on the Steelers Standard with Tom Opferman and Jacob Recht, working our way towards Steelers practice here at Heinz Field today. We are not at Heinz Field today. We are doing things from back at the studio. When we are done here in just about a half hour, we will throw it out to Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes at Heinz Field for Steelers practice. No doubt they'll be looking at the rookies in Steelers practice. A lot is on the line for these rookies, especially the ones picked at the top of the draft class. Got to start with the running back. Before we get to him, though, some running back news in the NFL, Jacob. Saquon Barkley has come off the physically unable to perform list today and will be back in action with the New York Giants. Potentially the best running back in the NFL has just returned to action. That's that's great for the Giants and it's great for fans of football as well. And it's great for fantasy football teams, I'm sure. It's great for fantasy football owners. Unfortunately, it's not great if you're not in like a keeper league. It's not great if you drafted Saquon Barkley last year like this guy. That's all right. You'll get him this year, though, right? I don't think so. Uh, I got no. pick number 10 in a league of 12, so I don't think he's falling to me. No, I don't think Barkley's going to fall to you. Maybe you get lucky and people are scared away by that injury. I would not be scared away by that injury, though. He's going to be dominant. The Steelers hope they can get a little Saquon Barkley magic out of Najee Harris. In his rookie year, Barkley went well over the 1,000-yard mark rushing in his first campaign with the New York Giants, hoping to get the same out of Najee. Going back to our second segment on the show, though, Jacob, I just have a question about how much that offensive line is going to allow Najee Harris to be dominant. I don't get me wrong; even with a below-average offensive line, he could do. I a think lot. a player like him can do his fair share of damage, but he's got to get at least mediocre play up front if he wants to eclipse a thousand yards on the ground this year. Absolutely. I mean, one guy can only do so much. Yeah. And we've talked about how dominant Derrick Henry's been with a pretty much average, if not a little bit below average offensive line in Tennessee. 
I don't know how the Steelers really compare to that offensive line. Of course, people in the national media will say, well, they're number 32 out of 32. But I don't know if people would say Tennessee is higher than really like 20 or 21 or 22. So you can get – if you can – formulate this offensive line in Pittsburgh to be about 20th best. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to even be average, but just good enough. That should allow Derrick Henry to do everything you expect him to do. Najee Harris, you mean? Did I say Derrick Henry? Derrick Henry, Henry yeah, sorry. talking about Tennessee. Sorry, there, yeah. But... I meant Najee Harris. Hey, you know what? Those Alabama running backs, man, they all run the same. Tough, it'd be great physical. If, it'd be great. It doesn't matter how you're built. You're a physical runner. It'd and, be great if Najee Harris could be the next Derrick Henry. And build-wise, maybe not. But it, right, like but I said, in you, terms you of the all, next best running back. All, like I said, when you all run the same, if you're coming from Alabama, I mean, think about how Mark Ingram runs. Think about how Derrick Henry runs. Think about what we saw Najee Harris do in the Hall of Fame game. It's pushing piles forward. You don't just tackle this guy or those guys with one man. You need two, three. It's a gang tackle only type of affair when you're going up against Najee Harris. And, you know, just his first impression, that's the one thing that jumped out the most to me is that pile always moved forward when he was uh, stood up after three or four yards every single time. And that's going to – that adds up, man. That's a half a yard here, an extra yard there. That's going to be the difference in the game. They like to say it's a game of inches, my friend, and those are where you really make the most of that is those little hidden yards where you fall forward for an extra half yard. And not only that, I mean, one play that really impressed me too was when the off- when the pocket didn't really collapse, but he was forced to go outside, and his speed alone, not just his toughness, but he made he got the first down running to the sideline based off his speed. So he doesn't only have just the one asset. He can be fast. He can beat you running down the sideline. But again, going back to what you said about game a game of inches, this is a team who struggled mightily on third and ones or even fourth and ones. I mean, how many times did we see the Steelers say to themselves, if you can't get one yard in this league, something's wrong? And how many times did they fail to do that on third and one or even second and one? They couldn't do it. And Najee Harris is going to be what I hope – is the is the the key to fixing that problem and i think you will be and i I think you know obviously you don't want this to be the case in the regular season but it was good to see how he handled a line just getting completely blown off the ball and having two three defenders in the backfield uh before he could even think and he did a tremendous job on the play that you described and a couple other plays of dodging those tacklers in the backfield would-be tacklers and yeah you're not turning it into a 15, 20-yard gain, but the fact that you're just getting back to the line of scrimmage when you should be losing four or five yards is something that you you can't illustrate how much that helps an offense continue to you know keep momentum going on a drive or start a drive because it can be deflating when it's first and 10, your first drive, you hand the ball off, they're in the backfield before you even know it, and now it's second and 14. You know, if it's second and 10, you whatever, you can kind of take a breath and, and reattack things. So uh, his ability to get back to the line of scrimmage was massively impressive to me. And I think something that a lot of people would overlook and just think, wow, it's a no, no gain. But that's big. I mean, like I said, the those hidden yardage of when you fall forward in a pile or avoid a tackle for a loss, that adds up and, and that helps your offense continue to to move down the field and, and keep their confidence about them. Absolutely. I mean, that's what you expect out of Najee Harris is to, I don't want to be too harsh in the middle line, but to make up for the lack of lack of talent possibly surrounding him, right? I, I, I don't want to be, I'm not trying to say that they have no talent, but this is a guy who has talent without a question. You cannot doubt this guy's 
ability to make a play on the field. And yeah, I mean, you you just you want him to be able to have the easiest time possible of of having the game he wants to have, and that all relies on the offensive line. The other rookie we got a real good look at was Kendrick Green, the center out of Illinois. Started in the Hall of Fame game, and he didn't do much, you know, to impress. But he didn't do anything to make you think that he's, you know, miles and miles behind where he should be. You know, nothing, you know, got through him that was like, wow, number fifty-three really got his butt beat on that play. So, you know, I think just the fact that you know he didn't really expose himself is a positive because. That's really what you got to do in this first game is getting your feet wet and learning how to be an NFL player. Tomlin illustrated that's why he likes to have the rookies play in all the preseason games is it's not about the game itself. It's about the build up to the game. This is the NFL. You got to have your mind right. You need to have your your pregame rituals uh, up to speed. You need to know what you're getting into to have your headspace in the right headspace when it starts counting for real in week one against Buffalo. And uh, you saw that with Kendrick Green, you know, stepped in and did the job solidly. Uh, you'd maybe like to see a pancake block here or there from him from this training or from time, this though. preseason uh, experience. But again, as long as he didn't look like a total liability or someone that doesn't belong in the league, that's a win as far as the Steelers are concerned right now. Yeah, I, I agree, too. And, you know, we, we talk about how Tomlin has these isms, right, about not giving it, not giving a silver platter to these rookies, and I'm okay with that. You know, if if Tomlin, it it's really in Tomlin we trust, and if he wants these guys to feel like they earned the spot, I think that's a huge, it's a huge asset in terms of Tomlin's coaching, coaching abilities. Is that he he's not just going to make these guys feel solid. He's going to make them feel like they, even though in Tomlin's mind, there it was their job to lose. He's going to make them feel like it was actually earned. And I think that it's okay if Kendrick Green continues to not necessarily get the first team reps or get the start. Uh, obviously, he got the start uh, at the Hall of Fame game, but come week one of the regular season, if it's if it's Hassenauer or if it's Finney getting the start, I'm okay with that because I feel like even though that'll happen, you'll, see, you'll still see Kendrick Green week one. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's any question. The Steelers want that to be the case. And they're going to give him every opportunity to to make that the case. And again, like I said, like you said, he hasn't ruined that opportunity yet. He hasn't made the Steelers regret giving him that opportunity. He's been perfectly fine. Hopefully you see some more improvement out of him uh, as the coming weeks pass, as we work our way towards week one. And hopefully you f feel him start to get a little bit of a uh, – cohesiveness with his fellow linemates although like we said in the the first hour of the show today that one guard on the left side is such a question mark you, you hate to have that happen you'd love to see both guards be solid around Kendrick Green for him to break in yeah you again this is going back to what Wolf told us consistency and chemistry and even though we said that it's okay if he doesn't get the start you kind of want him to get as much practice time as he can with the guys who you expect to start alongside him once the regular season kind of gets into the full swing of things. Cause we said he may not get the start week one, but you expect him to get the majority of starts throughout the regular season. And so again, it's okay. He's not getting it now, but you need to, you really need to start working him into that starting lineup in order to build that chemistry. 
The other rookie that figures in the figures to be a pretty massive contributor to the Steelers in the regular season this year didn't get a chance to play in the Hall of Fame game. Pat Fryermuth, their second round pick out of Penn State, dealing with a bit of a shoulder injury that kept him out, was back at practice yesterday, though. We'll be working with uh, we'll be working all week long to try to get himself ready for Thursday's action in Philadelphia. Got to be a little concerned with how good Raider looked as far as blocking. Uh, is concerned in the Hall of Fame game. Wolf touched on that as one of his big takeaways. Raider looked like a really solid blocker, maybe the best blocking tight end the Steelers have right now. And, you know, Gentry, in his own credit, did a really solid job as well when he was in the second half of the game. But Fryermuth was the guy they drafted to be the blocking tight end this year. And obviously he's experiencing a bit of a learning curve coming into the NFL, trying to get up to speed as far as blocking at this level is concerned and blocking some of the monsters that come at him. I mean, you hear all the time Alex Highsmith's been kicking his butt pretty good in practice, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing to welcome into the, into the NFL oh, in a practice environment, in a controlled environment, rather than an actual game. But you just got to see him go up against someone in another uniform now, and, and you hope that he's a very solid blocker and and at least looks the part because – Again, they got a playmaker in Eric Ebron, and I know that Fryermuth is going to bring that to the table as he works his way through the NFL in his career, but at this current juncture, at the starting point, he's just got to be a real solid blocker, and I'm very eager to see if he can get up to speed in, in time for week one in Buffalo. My only concern, Tom, is the fact that there are four guys at that position, and I just don't see the Steelers keeping all four, and I don't know beyond Fryermuth and Ebron who the Steelers are going to be more comfortable with going keeping as a third option yeah you heard wolf think about that they might keep four tight ends i think he's wrong there no offense i think i mean it's as, as you said yesterday if they do keep four the 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 fourth guy especially is going to be the 53rd man 52nd 53rd man that makes make that it. roster he's yeah. I, hopefully he's really good at special teams too because you need special teamers in that fit in that 50 to 53 range of guys that make your roster uh and and also you know a guy like a zach gentry what can Derek Watt? What can't Derek Watt do? Dude, that exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. So, Great point. So, so if I, you have a guy like Derek Watt, you don't really need the need for four tight ends. No, you got three tight ends, and then your fourth spot is fullback slash tight end. And I think that's how teams should. I mean, that's how teams have operated in the past before. I know the fullback has been phased out in some teams' games plan, game plans. Steelers have a fullback, but seem to phase him out of their game plan from time to time. Hopefully, that changes this year. But. Yeah, I think you can't have four tight ends and a fullback. You can't commit five roster spots to kind of the same quasi-position, and I think that's why you'll only see three of those tight ends make it. Raider probably the front runner to be number three, and then you'll see Derek Watt pick up the slack as that number four spot. Yeah, I agree with you, but I just don't know which guy they're going to go with. I mean, we, we talked about Raider and being you the gotta hope blocker, it doesn't matter. but I— Right, exactly. You gotta just hope it doesn't matter, and that it's it's a Ebron Fryermuth show with a little Derek Watt sprinkled in every now and again, and, and then that would be perfectly as, fine. As an extra block, if you really want to pack the O line and just have Derek Henry fall forward, that's the only other time I would say. Keep calling him Derek Henry. What's Did I say this, Derek Henry what's again? What's with this Freudian slips of Derek Henry? That just, you, I guess I just have a little crush on Derek. Henry. You just want today. Najee Harris to be Derek Henry so badly. At, listen, I think we all. Hope that Najee Harris can be uh, a little bit like Derrick Henry. We're going to wrap things up here on the Steelers standard when we come back. So don't you dare go anywhere. We'll be right back here on Steelers Nation Radio.
Wrapping things up here on the Steeler Standard with Tom Offerman and Jacob Recht, and we are all waiting with bated breath for Mike Tomlin to announce who his starter at quarterback will be against Philadelphia on Thursday. Have to imagine you'll see that announcement, if not today, definitely tomorrow. We're getting as, close, just three days away. As the Steelers break camp on Wednesday ahead of the game Thursday. So have to imagine that announcement's coming. Don't expect to hear Big Ben number seven's number called as far as that starter is concerned. You're not going to see Ben Roethlisberger play against the Philadelphia Eagles. And that brings me to a debate that I've been trying to get off the ground with as many people as I can on airwaves here on Steelers Nation Radio, ESPN Pittsburgh, wherever I may be coming to you from. Do you want to play Ben Roethlisberger at all in the preseason? Do you really need to see anything from that guy? I know that he would probably tell you he wants to get hit. He wants to feel game action before it actually counts and you're using live bullets. But I don't know. He's the most important player on this roster, bar none. And if you're more, if you're okay with TJ Watt sitting out for a contract reason because it keeps him healthy as well, then you'd think you'd have to be uh, wanting Ben Roethlisberger to sit out and keep him healthy even more so. Just as more that he's that much more important than TJ Watt, even though TJ Watt is an important piece to this team. So I, I gotta imagine that. If it's up to Ben Roethlisberger, he'd like to play at least one of the games. But if it's up to the Steelers, they might would rather have him sit out until Buffalo. You can make the case for both sides. I'll make the case for him not playing is look at what he did last year, right? He came out with no training camp, no practice, or no preseason games. And he got off to one of the best starts of his career. Through five weeks, he only had one interception. He was throwing touchdowns. He was throwing the ball deep at that time. And it wasn't until later on that he kind of slowed down. But if that's going to be another possibility, Tom, of course he's not going to be playing all four preseason games. That's not the scenario here. But if you think it's possible that Ben could lose steam toward the end of the season, you don't give him any extra time to play until week one. I agree. I, I want to save him. I want to save his energy for December. I agree. I, look, we saw that happen last year, the fade right. down the stretch. I know the Colts game is a bit of an outlier, and he put up numbers in the Browns game. But, but it was mostly in garbage. Time. It was a tough start to him in the Browns playoff game. But, yeah, you got to make sure that he can stay relatively healthy-ish and relatively fresh in your stretch run of the season because it's a doozy of a stretch run this year, as you all know. Their last six opponents are teams that definitely project to make it to the playoffs. A couple of them project to win or go to the Super Bowl. So it's a tough, tough stretch for the Steelers. You need Ben at full strength, at full freshness, and just don't see the need of wasting reps with him right now when things just don't count in August. I mean, I think, again, we said this with T.J. Watt, that guy's not going to forget how to play football. It It rings especially true with a guy like Ben Roethlisberger. He's not going to forget how to go out there and lead a team down the field and put points on the board. I think he gets more than enough game simulation uh, experience by doing two-minute drills in practice and and going up against the Steelers' own defense in an environment that you can control and you can make sure that if T.J. Watt does come, or he's not participating, if you <laughs> if if Melvin Ingram or Alex Highsmith come flying off the side. They just two-hand touch your quarterback instead of actually put him in the ground like what happened in a real preseason game. So, yeah, I think it's just, I'm sorry, Ben. I know you would like to get your feet wet a little bit, but it's just in our best interest to keep you on the sidelines until things count for real. And then I'll make the argument for the other side is the fact that maybe he lost steam because he wasn't getting the reps and then he got in the training camp that he missed out on last year. I mean, it's very possible. You could look at it from either side, but 
I do agree that I think if you were to ask Ben and you were at the Steelers, they would give you conflicting answers. They'd be on the answers, opposite side conflicting of Conflicting answers. I, I think so, too. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, so much hinges on him this year, as it does every single season with this Pittsburgh Steelers football team. You just have to hope to God that the health stays up with him and that the line can continue to protect him. But that's a major concern. And I, I think that that's probably feeding into the concerns in the preseason is our line is suspect as it is already when it, things start to play for real. We're not even fully healthy, first of all, on our front five. So if Ben were to play a preseason game, who's to know that we wouldn't have one of our twos or a couple of our twos out there with him, potentially risking him getting sacked even more. And in the games that Ben's going to play, you'd have to imagine that it would be the second preseason game for everybody else, third preseason game for the Steelers against the Lions. I know it's the Detroit Lions, so it's not that impressive, but I imagine that the starters on the Lions defense are going to play for the most of that first quarter. So he'd be facing legitimate NFL pass rushes for the time he'd be out there in that game. Right, because, I mean, the game he'd be playing is the game that the starters play for their team as well. Exactly. And a team like the Lions, I and think, he's, he's would not start gonna, players anyway just exactly, because. Right. But he's also going to be out can, there yeah. at the beginning of the game when it's guaranteed their starters are going to be out there. He's not going to come in as we saw Dwayne Haskins and Josh Dobbs did at the end of the game. No, of or at course, least not yeah. for at least not at the beginning of the game because Dwayne Haskins obviously came in in the second quarter. Hobbs, Hobbs, Dobbs obviously <laughs> finished the game. But you sure it wasn't Derrick Henry? I think it was Calvin and Hobbs, actually. So. Ben's obviously going to be out there for the beginning of the game if he does play, and that means guaranteed he's playing against their starters. Well, like I said, I think the only game he would play if he does is the Detroit game on August 21st. So but you... again, how how afraid are you really of what's going on in Detroit? I don't really know. No, no offense to the, to the Lions, but I don't know if I'm that afraid of them. I don't know. Dan in the, Campbell. In the preseason. Dan Campbell seems like a football guy, man. He seems like someone that might have his players so fired up for a preseason game they'll be snapping legs when things don't actually count at all I feel we'll like see. Dan Campbell's that kind of guy he seems crazy but that's the game I think you'd see Ben in no chance you see him against Philadelphia this week right there's just no way I, I think maybe old Ben this is the game where uh, first game of the preseason if we were operating under the normal four four preseason games only the Steelers and the Cowboys have that this year first game Ben doesn't play a snap right second game he plays like a series like literally one series and it's probably mostly just handoffs like just to kind of get the cadence down and, and to feel yourself in the uniform then he comes out third game's the whole first quarter maybe even the whole first half sometimes third or fourth game Ben you don't see Ben at all no, so this would be the one where you'd probably see him for a series and just to get his feet wet not even that for this case I don't think I, I think just what's the point of even getting that one series in just hold him out I guess if it, he wants to play, the he's only way play I one can, game and that's it. The only I, way I could convince myself that it'd be worth it is okay. Have him play the first series, but have him go under center for all three snaps and have him hand the ball off for all three snaps and just work on you know the center quarterback exchange and then the quarterback to Najee. Exchange. I still think that's too much, Tom. No, they wanna, shouldn't play him at all. No, and I don't like I said I don't know if they should play him at all against the Lions either. I think that might be too much. The Lions, maybe the Lions game the is the Lions, one where you just do the one series that's and you I'm just saying. snap the ball I a couple times. I think that's the only time you do it. If you play him in more than one game, if he if he's out there on the field for more than one game, I think it's too much. So it's either Dobbs, it's either Rudolph or Haskins probably as the starter on Thursday in Philly. I think the one interesting thing to look at is. If they come out and Tomlin says we're going to go with Haskins to start things off and then we're going to go with Rudolph in the sec 
second quarter into the second half, like Haskins did in the Hall of Fame game, then I think you get your first legitimate smoke signal that this is a legit position battle. They're thinking about both guys with that number two spot. But if you come out and Tomlin says Mason Rudolph's our starter on Thursday, Haskins will come in in relief. I think that that will also clearly illustrate where they think things stand as far as who the number two quarterback will be, and it would be Mason Rudolph firmly in front there. So I think you can glean a little bit more than people might think from this announcement of who's the starter on Thursday from Mike Tomlin. Yeah, I mean, I said personally, I don't really care who gets a start. I care who's out there for more. I know you have the opposite opinion where you think th- because I think th- when you get the start, you're out the... there with more starters. So like there'll be more Philly defenders that are legitimate, and then you'll be working with Claypools and Harris and a good offensive line. So See, I, th- I, I think also in the first game, Dwayne Haskins did get more drives or more series than Mason Rudolph did. So I guess right, but with the twos for the most part, with the part. twos, that's a, that's a good point. So I think it's kind of an even balance. I, I wouldn't I. It sounds like you're leaning to the point where you think it's all on the na- the guy who's named the starter. I don't think it's that that one-sided. Well, how do you think things are shaping out right now in that position battle, if you can even call it that? I, I think Mason Rudolph has this job pretty much on lock. I think it's more of a fan and a media creation that there's even a battle between him and Haskins right now. I, I think sounds- in Steelers' mind, Rudolph is number two. It would take a cataclysmic event to have Haskins jump over him. It does sound that it's more so of a reaction by the fans and the media just from what they get to see out of Haskins. Like, I, like I've like i said before, he's a little more versatile on his feet. He's a little more mobile on his feet. He's got a bit of a cannon too. Uh, but again, Mason Rudolph was the one who converted the pass to, C- to CJ, to Chase Claypool uh, on that 45-yard out route. So, we saw mostly short passes from Mason or from Dwayne Haskins, and he had a little scramble for five yards. That's something that you know he's capable of. But it does seem like after that first game, Mason is a guy getting, and of course throughout training camp, Mason's getting the the number two reps, and Mason's getting the start. So it does seem like the Steelers are leaning toward giving him that number two spot. No, I, I think that's fair, a fair assessment to to put on it. And you know, I, I think a lot of fans just. Not in the media, because I think the media is feeding more off of Haskins just looks really good. Like, he's making all the throws. I think for the fan base, though, it just comes off of that he's not Mason Rudolph. Like, I think that's really the leader in the clubhouse as to why they want Haskins more. It's just because it's somebody different and exciting, and it's someone that isn't Mason Rudolph. And I think that they're just very sour on a guy Mm -hmm. who's actually a more solid backup quarterback than I think a lot of them realize. I, I agree. I mean, this is the problem that you want, though. These guys are both viable options. Yeah, some teams just have nothing in the back. I mean, look at the Colts. They don't even have their starting quarterback, and they're left with. They're talking about Jacob Eason right now, from Washington, right? Yeah, and then they're they're all like, it's almost like a foregone conclusion they're going to get Nick Foles from Chicago too, but that just hasn't happened yet. And also, Nick Foles, would you do you even want Nick Foles? I mean, no. Outside of Philadelphia, he hasn't done anything. But they're trying to capture that Frank Reich magic again. You're right. You're right. I mean, Frank Reich's last season was under the or Nick Foles was under the tutelage of Frank Reich but it was really Carson Wentz who led them to the Super Bowl it was just Nick Foles got them that win but of course you you could be in much more dire scenarios than the Pittsburgh Steelers are right now no question and we will be anticipating the announcement from Tomlin in the coming days if not today on who will be the starting quarterback Thursday in Philadelphia do you have a prediction 
Who's going to be the starter? Mason Rudolph. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be Rudolph again. I don't see again. I think the position battle is not even one that to be had. I think it's right. just Rudolph's just job. Rudolph yeah, then, I just think it's Rudolph's job, and then Dwayne Haskins is is very impressive. And uh, you know, I think the talk at going into camp or into the off season was: Is Haskins going to be able to beat Dobbs out and mm-hmm. and be the number three guy? And he's definitely done that so oh, far. Of course. So. Uh, I think that's where we stand with that. That's going to do it for us, though, today here on the Steelers Standard. That is not going to do it for Steelers Nation Radio's coverage of training camp. We're going to kick things out to Heinz Field next for our main guys, Wesley Euler and Arthur Motes. They'll be coming at you from 1 until 4 this afternoon. Work your way through Steelers practice with those two on the Steelers Blitz. For Jacob Brecht, I am Tom Opperman. Thanks for listening to the Steelers Standard, and it's all right here on Steelers Nation Radio.